The Gospel of John, chapter 19, starting at verse 28. Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning, and this sixth saying of Jesus from the cross, it is finished, is the focus of our meditation this morning. Sisters and brothers, in our Lord Jesus Christ, today is the last Sunday of Lent. I didn't grow up celebrating Lent. Um, In both the Dominican Republic and Texas, it was too Catholic. This time of repentance and confession, of fasting and prayer. It wasn't until I moved to Michigan to go to college and seminary that someone asked me for the first time, what are you giving up for Lent? And this was a concept that was kind of foreign to me. And at first I thought it was kind of silly, but as I started attending churches that followed the liturgical year and started studying the liturgical year during my time in seminary, I grew to appreciate the beauty of structuring your whole year around the life of Jesus Christ, walking the whole year with Jesus through his birth, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. And that's what we've done together this Lenten season, walking with Christ. We've walked with Christ from Galilee to Jerusalem to Calvary, walking with Christ from his ministry to his suffering and death, walking with Christ as he carries the cross to Calvary. But along this walk, as we journey with Jesus towards his death, This Sunday always catches me off guard because as we come ever closer to the death of our Lord, we're all of a sudden inundated by children waving palm branches and people shouting Hosanna and beautiful songs like the one that we just sang. As Jesus comes to Jerusalem to die, He's welcomed by people as the Messiah. He's welcomed by Jerusalem as its king. They throw a parade in his honor, a victory parade to celebrate the son of David, the king of the Jews. And the evangelists don't disguise any of this in the way that they tell the story. You you can read about similar types of parades in other ancient Jewish writings, in the writings of, of Josephus and the books of the Maccabees. This is a victory parade. That's what's going on here in in the triumphal entry. This is a victory parade. A victory parade to welcome a victorious king, a conquering hero. The people of Jerusalem are welcoming Jesus as their liberator, who they expect to free them 
from Roman bondage, to declare the independence of Zion once again, to establish God's kingdom on the holy mountain. It's a hero's welcome, a victory parade. But things are not what they seem. This is a victory parade. That's what it was in Jewish culture. That's what the Jews who were welcoming Jesus to Jerusalem saw it as. But we also know, because we know the rest of the story, we know that this is a funeral procession. Jesus is coming to Jerusalem to die. And the evangelists don't pull any punches on that side of the story either. Jesus tells his disciples time and time again that the Son of Man must suffer and die for the sins of the world. And time and time again, the disciples don't understand. Jesus tells them that the temple will be destroyed and rebuilt in three days, referring to his body, which would suffer and die and be raised to new life. As Jesus enters Jerusalem, he journeys ever closer to his death, a death which he knows is coming, a death which he knows will be cruel. The crowds that shout Hosanna will soon shout, crucify him, the same voices praising him as the Messiah will soon call for Barabbas to be freed and for Jesus to be put to death. Jesus marches to his death. And so the so-called triumphal entry becomes a funeral march. Things are not what they seem. The crowd celebrates the coming of the Messiah, but Jesus goes to die. The crowds exalt a revolutionary, a liberator, but Jesus goes to a painful humiliation. The city rejoices at the coming of its king, but Jesus goes to be crucified, to be executed. And it's kind of an ironic thing because it seems like just as everybody is starting to get it, just as everybody is starting to see that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the coming king, everything gets knocked off course. Jesus' ministry in Jerusalem starts with a victory parade and ends with an execution. Things are not what they seem. The Son of God marches to his death. And we've seen from our series throughout this Lent that this is a terrible, shameful, humiliating death. Jesus is abandoned by his disciples. He's mocked by rulers and soldiers alike. He bids farewell to his mother at the foot of the cross, and hell itself reaches up to take hold of him on the cross as he experiences the excruciating pain of feeling abandoned by God. He is raised up on the cross, rejected by God and rejected by men, suspended between heaven and earth, showing that there is no place for him in either. Death by crucifixion was intended to humiliate The sign over Jesus' head reads the king of the Jews as though it were all some big joke. And this should be the end. This should be the last straw. If anybody believed that Jesus was really the Messiah when he came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, this should be the time that they abandon that belief. Now would be the time for fear and shame to crush their faith. This man could not be the Messiah. This man could not be the king. This one, rejected by heaven and earth alike, 
condemned to die, exposed in shame for all to see. The Son of God can't die. And so this moment when Jesus dies, by all accounts, should have been the end of this silly belief that Jesus of Nazareth was the Son of God. But things are not what they seem. The words that the Lord utters here as he nears the end of his life show us that there's something deeper going on, something more profound. It is finished. On the one hand, if we took a simple reading, this could refer to the drink of vinegar that he was just given, the drink of sour wine. It could refer to the end of his life, that his life is finished. That, that, would be, that wouldn't be so hard to believe. Maybe he's just saying that his life is over. You don't have to be divine to know that you're dying. Maybe these are words of defeat, of surrender. It is finished. But this is the Gospel of John that we're talking about. Nothing's that simple. A few weeks ago, we looked at the words of Jesus to his mother and his disciple at the foot of the cross and we mentioned how the Gospel of John emphasizes throughout the passion and crucifixion narratives that Jesus is in control. That Jesus is in control of what's going on. That Jesus is in control. That Jesus is the one in charge. He's the one pulling the strings. He's the one directing how events play out. And that's what we see here too. Jesus is in control. And it's, it's really cool in the Greek. I sort of geeked out over the Greek in this passage because the same word is used three times. And it's, it's kind of annoying because it's translated three different ways in the English, but it's the same Greek word three times. Later, knowing that all was now completed and so that the scriptures might be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty, and they give him the vinegar. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. Completed fulfilled, finished. These are all the same word in the Greek. When Jesus saw that everything was finished and so that scripture might be finished, completed, Jesus asked for a drink. They gave him vinegar to fulfill the scriptures. And then Jesus said, it is finished. It is finished. He's talking about the reason that he's come to this earth. The reason that he's lived a life of obedience, the whole reason for his ministry, the reason he's gone through all this suffering, it is finished. Jesus is in control. We see this all the way through his crucifixion. Jesus, Jesus suffers because he needed to suffer to accomplish his purpose. Jesus allows the leaders to condemn him unjustly to death. Jesus goes willingly to the cross, knowing that this is what he must do, that this is what must take place in order for Scripture to be fulfilled, that this is what must happen in order for him to do what he came to the earth to do. We even see Jesus' control, Jesus' sovereignty, Jesus' kingship in the final words that John uses to describe the end of Jesus' life. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. 
Even in the way that John describes Jesus dying, Jesus is the one in charge. Jesus is the one deciding when to bow his head and when to give up his spirit. Jesus is the one who decides when to breathe his last breath. Jesus is in control. This isn't a defeat. This is a victory. And when we read through the Gospel of John, when we read the whole Gospel together, this becomes so abundantly clear. In chapter 13, as Jesus and, as Jesus and the disciples gather in the upper room and Jesus prepares to wash the disciples' feet, this is what John writes. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. The Gospel of John starts out this whole story of the final days of Jesus' life leading to his death and resurrection with a very clear, very powerful premise. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And we can look even farther back than this. In chapter 10, Jesus tells a sort of parable about how the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep and how he is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. The reason the Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. And this is what we see happening here in the crucifixion. Jesus lays down his life of his own accord. No one takes it from him. He has the authority to lay it down and to take it up again. He decides when to recline his head and when to give up his spirit. Jesus is in control. Jesus is in control because he has a mission. Jesus is in control because he has been sent by God for a purpose. And this is a purpose that he's been trying to explain since the very beginning of his gospel. If we look at John chapter 3, one of the most beautiful passages in the gospel. John chapter 3, in Jesus' conversation with the Pharisee, Nicodemus, Jesus tells Nicodemus, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. 
And now from the cross, as Jesus' suffering comes to an end, he cries out, it is finished. What's finished? The work of salvation that he came to do. The work that Jesus came into the world to do. By his sacrifice, Jesus takes the penalty for sin. Jesus bears the wrath of God's judgment against evil. Jesus bears the curse of death, the punishment for sin, so that the world might be saved. Jesus takes our filth on himself and bears the humiliation of the cross, the shame and the sorrow, the pain, the loneliness of hell. He bears it all to the end. And when his suffering is complete and the scriptures are fulfilled, when the wrath of God against the sins of the world has been satisfied, when he has borne the weight of the punishment of every sin, he cries out in victory, it is finished. And he turns to face his final enemy, death, without fear. Things are not what they seem. What should have been the end of the Christian religion becomes the center of history. What should have been the humiliation and shame of those who believed that Jesus was the Son of God became the crown of glory. Jesus is raised up on the cross, rejected by heaven and earth, suspended between humankind and its creator. But in his rejection, in his humiliation, in his suffering, he becomes the bridge between earth and heaven. He restores the link between humankind and our creator. Jesus opens the door to reconciliation with God. He unlocks the gates of paradise. He paves the way for us to live with God forever. What should have been a moment of fear becomes a moment of joy. Because as we see our Lord face his final enemy, we see that even then, he's in control. Even death submits to the Lord even in dying, Jesus demonstrates that he is king over all the earth, that he has power over all things, and that the victory is already won. We've been talking a lot this season of Lent about walking with Jesus as he comes to his death, walking with Jesus through his whole life, walking with Jesus to the foot of the cross, We've been talking about being witnesses to this terrible and humiliating experience that Jesus has to go through, about staying at Jesus' side even when the sight seems too terrible to behold, even when we want to run away like the disciples ran away, even when the whole ordeal seems too awful to think about. We follow Jesus. This is our duty as followers of Jesus, to follow him all the way, even through his suffering, even through his death, even as our Lord bows his head and gives up his spirit. And the good news is that we can walk this journey with Christ without fear, because our Lord shows us without any doubt that he is in control 
that he has paid the penalty, that he has cleared the debt, that he has already defeated death. And so we're able to walk with Jesus to the foot of the cross. We're able to watch with him one bitter hour. We're able to journey with Jesus as he suffers because he journeys with us when we suffer. We're able to follow Jesus throughout our lives all the way to the cross through suffering and even death because we know that he has already won. It is finished. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.